0: You're listening to the best of the Michelle Miao show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao.
1: It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to the best of show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Tuesday, November 24th, and I'm Michelle Miao, your host. My current Facebook post reads, I got a haircut. <laughs> I did a a detoxifying Umbrian clay mask last night, and I probably will get a pedicure before Thursday. And that's because I'm going to visit my family. I don't think I did any of this at all, ever, for a date. Right, John?
2: (laughs) Well, I can't guarantee that you've never done it for a date, but yes, that it was your Facebook post.
1: (laughs) John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Oh my gosh, it is Thanksgiving week, and while, you know, some of us do recognize this holiday for... Um, uh, uh, if we put it in historical context in the colonization of, you know, uh, <laughs> this country, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. Uh, all I know is, you know, it brings families together and, uh, it is a good time to reflect and be thankful for what we do have.
2: I think most people look at it that way. Very few people around are actually descended from folks who came over and. In- rickety old boats mm-hmm. I mean at the pilgrim's time I mean, yeah, most of our, our ancestors came over in the last 150 years or so
1: I'm excited because you know I'll, I'll have a break finally but I'll be around family and I can just kind of disconnect and not think about anything I actually have started the disconnection as early as last week and I I know I told you this John before uh, we started the program but I've disconnected from media you know for the most part uh, especially watching news because uh, it got so bad so what have I missed
2: Oh, wow. Well, I can fill you in. Let me see if I can do it in one minute. Uh, Donald Trump is still uh, reacting to criticism over a Black Lives Matter protester who was roughed up at one of his uh, uh, speeches. Um, Dr. Ben Carson plummeting in the polls.
1: Hold on. Can we go back to Trump really quick? Wait.
2: Can we go back to your pedicure?
1: Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, because that was, you know, he's hopefully can be old news. Uh, but 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 roughed up, uh, you know, you mean by one of his people or yes, it was just by, someone... s-
2: well, by some of the folks in the audience who uh. Uh, apparently took it upon themselves to uh, get you. There's a video of this you can find online. If OK, you ever reconnect. All right. Of him being hit and punched.
1: Good news on Carson.
2: Yes. However, Trump is rising. Uh now my favorite story has nothing to do with presidential politics it's the cat bombing of social media in Belgium so in Brussels they were hunting these uh ISIS terrorists mm-hmm. who were connected they thought to the uh the Paris bombings and the police told the people not to post anything like oh hey i just saw a police car drive down the street or there are you know there's a police action going on down down the street mm-hmm. because they didn't want the terrorists cuz the terrorists of course are following all that as well right. so instead the people of Brussels posted photos and videos of cats. Awesome and, and some really <laughs> great stuff. If you go to Twitter, do uh, hashtag Brussels lockdown, oh and God. you'll get a, a whole bunch of great stuff. I, I think today, you know, who knows what if Belgium will will uh, impress us or anger us in the future. But for today, it's the coolest country.
1: Oh my gosh, that's pretty cool.
2: One last thing. It's probably more than a minute, but hey. Uh, Canada announced that it will not accept Syrian refugees who are single men unless they're gay. True story. That's true. Yes. Are you sure? Uh, well, according to the internets.
1: Oh, not not the onion.
2: Not the onion. Uh, and Dallas, on the other hand, remember Dallas? Yes. I don't mean the TV show. I mean, like, there's a city <laughs> called Dallas. Seriously.
1: Dallas, the, not the TV show, not the hair, but the city.
2: And most important... Dallas in the ultra red state of Texas the Dallas mayor said his city will help settle Syrian refugees in fact he said he's not worried about Syrian refugees he's far more worried about gatherings of white men who shoot up theaters and schools and stuff like that so wow. that's your world in a minute Michelle do you feel connected
1: uh very 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 much so especially to the cats i love cats <laughs> All right, let's get our program started today. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Uh, our guest today, wow, uh, what a treat our producer has gifted us, <laughs> because, especially because I'm fresh off of, yes, that trip that I've been talking about to Bentonville, Arkansas, in which, uh, you know, they put on the Emerge Summit, and so it was an invitation to young millennials who are doing incredible work within their uh, organizations, and that included several civil rights organizations of African-American organizations, Asian-American, of, and yes, of course, I was there because I'm queer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> an LGBT organization. So our guest is Al Norman. He's a citizen activist and author who founded Sprawl Busters back in the early 90s after he blocked Walmart in his hometown in Massachusetts and uh, he provides grassroots assistance to citizens fighting big-box sprawl. So he's written three books about Walmart and the most recent being Occupy Walmart. Uh, And here to to further discuss an article he just put out on Huffington Post discussing gender discrimination and some lawsuits that have come out from that. Uh, Let's welcome Al Norman to the program. Al, thanks for being with us.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for asking me
1: so you know uh, let's let's jump right into it let's talk about Walmart I did get a chance to briefly skim through your book occupy Walmart and so thank you for sending that to me let's address that ten dollar uh, minimum wage chapter though as you know Walmart has increased their wages to at least nine bucks an hour and with definite plans to increase that to ten bucks uh, an hour in early next year you know the CEO Doug Mcmillan the current one has already been um, you know promoting the fact that they're investing twenty six billion dollars over the course of all this, which we've seen their stocks be affected, isn't this great news? Can we we shut your book and, and say, wow, all of our problems are have been resolved?
3: Well, obviously, the people who are uh, working on the Walmart plantation aren't aren't cheering. It's not enough. It's it's uh, it's totally inadequate to say to somebody, we're going to eventually get you to ten bucks an hour. I mean, why, why would anyone throw a party over that? Uh, Fifteen. An hour is, is a great first step, and I think that all my friends in organized labor who are pushing for 15 an hour understand that that's not the stopping place. That's a another plateau. But we got to get beyond that and give these people a, a decent wage. And you know, just look at the disparity between the folks at the top and the folks who are toiling on the plantation. The Walton family, you know, one of the probably is the richest family collectively in in the country. And uh, the billionaires are doing well there, but the the foot, sh- foot soldiers are not. So no, it's not. I'm not. I'm not really impressed with their ten dollars an hour.
1: Uh, and I'm I'm going to follow up with that. I mean, you know, Doug McMillan, who is, he's relatively new. I think he's been uh, CEO for about a year, year and a half. I mean, he has been uh, praised by certain community activists um, for making this move, this bold move, in, in which couldn't be a good thing for their stockholders who uh, feel as if they're suffering. Um, can we at least give them that, that progress has been made?
3: Well, I, I call him Doug McMillan. Um or Doug Mcbillion would be probably more appropriate i i don't see i don't see any cause for uh significant praise here i mean they're they're doing it because of market forces they know that they have to raise the wages of their workers or or they're going to lose them um they they for for many decades felt that they had a captive labor source because they were hiring people who couldn't go elsewhere but uh you know somebody who's trying to uh, you know, raise a family on, on that uh, kind of income, single mom with a kid or two. You're talking about either at or below the poverty level. So, you know, am I am I impressed that he made the move? Uh, not particularly, I think, it was market-driven. Does it really affect the stockholders? Not really. There have been studies showing that Walmart could raise the wages of its workers uh, and not uh, reduce, uh, you know, its its stock dividends. Uh, that there's enough money in that company, particularly at the very top, uh, to to take care of the people who are working there, and that that produces more worker satisfaction, better productivity, and raises the uh, you know the, the worth of the company. So that investing in your own people, you know, because Walmart is a company that says our people make the difference. So the difference is giving them enough money that they can you know afford uh, a decent life. They're, they're, probably many of them are going to turn around and spend it at Walmart anyway, so they're just investing in themselves. But, no I, have no, I have no great praise for Walmart's leadership because of this action. They need to do a lot more.
2: Now, do you think it's possible there's even the, this movement to raise the, their minimum pay a little bit as a way of trying to head off the $15 you know, pushes for that, that it, it might be just enough of a SOP to decrease the number of people who are demanding a higher rate, a real wage?
3: Well, I think they were trying to cut employee dissatisfaction by giving them, you know, a little bit. Um, not what certainly not what they asked for. I mean, they know they know the company knows that that uh, a lot of the retail sector now is asking for fifteen. They they look at at their McDonald's in their store, and they know that the workers there are agitating. So all the fast food industry, all the big box people are now saying that, you know, it's not enough to just you know throw out a few crumbs and say you know here's your nine or ten bucks an hour. Um, so, yeah, I think it was meant to blunt any effort to, to continue to push. They're not happy about, uh, you know, minimum wages going up. I mean, you know, to them, workers are a cost center like heating or lighting. And if you can get away with uh, paying them the, the least you can, you become more competitive in, in their eyes. And, uh, y- you know, you can keep those China prices low, source your products cheaply, have your, your uh, workforce domestically as cheap as possible, I mean, everybody, everybody who's paid any attention to what Walmart is doing as a business model understands that it's not about treating their workers uh, fairly or giving them the kind of wages that they need. It's about producing products as cheaply as possible uh, for the end user.
1: we got about three minutes left before our break, and uh, I wanted to jump into your most recent article that was posted uh, at the Huffington Post in which you talk about a recent lawsuit filed by a transgender Walmart worker Um, And, you know, this opens up a a whole big discussion because Walmart has been promoting the fact that they have done a lot of changes, social changes, especially, you know, their relationship with the LGBTQ community, now offering same-sex couples uh, benefits and also extending that to include transgender benefits. Um, Talk to us about this this lawsuit and what it's really about that was, you know, filed by uh, Samantha Azarano.
3: Yeah, this was a, um, a lawsuit filed recently, sometime in the you know fall, late fall, September, October, by a worker who had been at Walmart for uh, about two years before she was fired. Um, the suit uh, contends that she was fired because of her gender identity. Um, she was harassed and intimidated uh, by her supervisors uh, for being transgender. She was called a bleeping tranny. I'm just bleeping the word. You can imagine, uh, but it was um, it was a, a worker who uh, eventually was was fired by uh, a supervisor who was no longer even her direct supervisor because they were just simply um, tired of uh, of dealing with this person who was different than they were. And uh, the lawsuit um, is filed under. This is in New Jersey, in a store in Deptford, New Jersey. It was filed uh, under the um, uh, the New Jersey lo- has a, a law against uh, uh, gender discrimination that includes transgender. And um, uh, it was filed in um, uh, Camden County uh, um, in New Jersey. And it, it you know, just um, it charges them with uh, with gender discrimination and uh, says that that was the, uh, the reason why she was uh, subjected to a campaign of, of what Walmart calls write-ups and verbal coachings, which are the necessary preliminaries for getting rid of someone um and that the uh, the incidents were all uh, driven by the this harassment, by uh uh you know, gender identity, sexual orientation, perception of sexual orientation, gender stereotyping, uh, and uh the the plaintiff's status as a transgender person. So the irony of course is that Walmart uh you know, claims that it has a, a transgender friendly policy but then they're firing people that, that are transgender. So once again, it's an example of, yeah, we've got a policy, it's in a file cabinet somewhere, but on, on the ground, at the store level, uh, people are still being outrageous and, and discriminatory and uh, causing a lot of pain.
1: I think we're, we're going to stop here and take a break because all of my questions are super heavy and I, do, I don't think you'll answer them in like 30 seconds. So, Al, thank you so much for being with us. You'll sure. stay with us and continue this conversation about Walmart? I will. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. Don't go away.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show.
1: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host and uh, here with us on this and Incredible. Awesome. Tuesday is, of course, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Our guest on the phone is Al Norman, who's a citizen activist, and uh, he's known for his work in blocking a Walmart in his hometown in Massachusetts. He has a book uh, titled Occupy Walmart in which we're discussing it, as well as an article that was recently posted on The Huffington Post discussing a recent lawsuit involving a transgender Walmart uh, former worker, uh, I think former yes al thanks so much for being with us i think yes uh, samantha is no longer with walmart today yeah, right? she's yeah.
3: no longer with uh with the retailer and that's probably better for her
1: right yes so let's talk about you know the um the changes that we need to see at store level. My guess is a response to something like that. You know, Walmart would say they've got over 5,000 stores and and uh, over 1.3 million employees. It's 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 hard to, you know, make these uh changes overnight. Well, and have they responded publicly uh, to this?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, th- this first of all, this this issue of how they treat um LGBTQ folks, uh, you know, this isn't like all of a sudden there's this case. I mean, they, I, I recall back in two thousand eleven when Walmart, I um, actually wrote about this in on The Huffington Post, when they were uh, trying to push their way into New York City, um, the Stonewall Democratic Club of New York, I think, wrote something that was absolutely true about the company. They said that that Walmart represents a culture of intolerance intolerance and insensitivity. Uh, towards LGBT employees, and the example that they were, the examples they gave was that um, more than 100 stores um, had were promoting a children's book that suggested that gay people can overcome sin and convert to heterosexuality uh, with the help of a counselor, and the CEO of Walmart uh, had signed a petition in in Arkansas saying that um, they should try to prevent adoption by gay and lesbian parents. So. This is sort of a chronic thing here. We're not dealing with a one-off problem. Um, Walmart, you know, Walmart has said that, well, you know, we have we have amended our discrimination policy to to deal with uh, uh, transgender now. But um, then, you know, again, operationally, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, you know, you, you pass these paper documents; uh, they're not they don't reach the store level. The folks at the store level are as benighted as ever. Um, they don't care what or maybe don't know what the policy of their company is, and they just react to people who they consider to be different than they are uh, by harassing and intimidating them and pushing them out. Um, So I just think, you know, you you look back at all kinds of gender discrimination at this company, the huge lawsuit that was filed in 2001. I mean, that's, you're talking about 14 years ago, there was this lawsuit, large class action lawsuit involving as many as 1.6 million women at Walmart over gender discrimination in pay and other uh, uh, employee benefits. So this is a company, I say in my article, this is a company that has more lawsuits than men's suits. So, you know, their own people, they they have to have lawyers to defend them from their own people. So this is not, you know, again, this has not been addressed, it has not been corrected. The only reason it became a lawsuit in New Jersey is because there happens to be a, a state law against gender discrimination. Uh, unlike at the federal level dealing with transgenders, there's nothing. So um, I don't I don't think that uh, there's been any real effort or response from Walmart to this lawsuit or in general to the fact that they don't really uh, treat their people uh, the way they should.
2: So let, let's get, I guess, sp- specific about what they should do if they want to make those statements in their, their employee manual come to life and be actually felt on the local level. I mean, is there... Are there other companies that have done that that you can point to and say, "Hey, look, that's what they should be doing." There's no excuse mm-hmm. for a big company. You know, this can be done in a large distributed company. Well,
3: I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I haven't studied. Uh, you know, uh, how the how the large scale retailers and other places are dealing with the issue of uh, of gay rights for their for their own workers. I imagine that it's not, um, you know, particularly um, admirable. Even if you even if you look at you know good policies again on paper. You, you still have to deal with there's an ugly reality at the store level that there's a lot of prejudice and hatred that still exists and um uh, I don't really you know I don't really look at what's you know what's in the cabinet. You have to look at what's what's really happening on the floor and um all the earmarks of what's happened at Walmart uh, are that there's been no no real effort to say, for example, to their to their supervisors look if you if you discriminate against somebody based on their gender. Uh, you better be careful because it's probably you that will lose your job, not them. So, right. so we just want you to know that this we take this policy seriously. Uh, we look at activities on the store level, and when we get a lawsuit like this, we are we Walmart. We're going to investigate the supervisory response because our concern is that. Uh, it may be the supervisory level that needs to go. Right,
1: right. I was just going to add to that. I mean, you know, that was the big thing that I, I said to Doug McMillan at my time in Bentonville. If it was one thing that I could walk away with, it would be, You know, they one. You know, it would be great for him to step out and support an equal rights act, something on the federal level. You you touched on it, Al. um, That would be inclusive of gender identity, sexual orientation, and illegal. You know, to fire someone uh, because of that. And um, secondly, I mean, you know, company policies uh, nationwide. Uh, that would make it you know against company policy to fire someone based off of gender identity sexual orientation. I mean Oracle has already done something like that, and it had always done um something like that, even if there is no government law that mandates that you have to do that. Um, and then, you know, of course, implementing is something within human rights or HR, your HR, you know, in educating all workers and ha- making them go through an education process and learning about the diversity of your employees. Um, education is a good thing, right? Not just for, <laughs> you know, at the store level, but for all communities.
3: Um, yeah, I'll well, add my if two there, cents
1: there. Um, yeah,
3: if, there were, if there was an HR department at this Deptford, New Jersey store, I would think that that HR department would have been severely embarrassed by this incident. Pulled mm-hmm. the supervisor aside and said, "You know, this this has to stop. And you know, you're 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 coached. We're going to coach you because this you've embarrassed the entire store, if not the entire uh, network of stores, by this incident. Because people are going to know us by this. They're going to remember that you couldn't deal with uh, someone under your supervision that didn't present themselves the way that you do. And and on that basis alone." You know, we're we're going to coach you, right? I mean, this is this is the stuff that has to happen. You know, through whether it's through the HR department or through the store manager, somebody uh, would have said, uh, first of all, we're going to settle this lawsuit as quickly as possible, and we're going to do it quietly, and we're going to move on. But you know, we've put a warning out to supervisors at this store and throughout our stores that this is the kind of embarrassment that that uh, Walmart doesn't want to deal with.
1: Let's jump, uh, you know, to a bigger conversation as we're winding down on time. I mean, gosh, I could spend all hour talking to you, Al, about about Walmart. Um, because you know, I realized at my time in Bentonville, it was like, I represent, you know, the LGBTQI community. I represent women. I represent people of color. And you know, I have a disabled brother. I grew up in a low income family. I grew up in Stockton, California, the Detroit of California, uh, in which you know we have three supercenter WalMarts. That, uh, yeah huge um, presence in our city. There's this argument that, you know, Walmart, who employs over 1.3 million employees here in this country who are the number one employers of women, African-American and Hispanic uh, people, you know, they're a good thing for neighborhoods. Your book obviously, you know, (laughs) refutes every ounce of that statement. Tell us why.
3: Well, there are folks who believe that Walmart is some kind of economic engine and that it produces jobs. But all the research I've done over the past two decades and that I've seen indicates that, in fact, this is not this is not a form of economic development. It's a form of economic displacement. Walmart cannibalizes jobs. When it comes to a community, most of the jobs are just wearing new, you know, they're sort of new, new aprons from around old jobs. There are people who have been Kicked out of, lost their employment, at other places, and now have to walk across the street and file an application to work at Walmart. Some of them are, are unionized jobs that were paying much better uh, than Walmart pays, and so there's no there's no economic kick here. There's no it's you know it's like a zero sum game or loss of jobs in many communities. Um, there have been longitudinal studies uh, in the Midwest that were that were done that showed that. In, in a community that had uh, uh, Walmart or saturations of WalMarts, that they, they were losing jobs, uh, and so economically, it's bad news for most communities. Um, environmentally, it's disaster because they're building these huge, um, uh, you know, uh, concrete and asphalt stores where it used to used to have green space, and so you're you're polluting the the air, you're polluting the light, you're polluting the water, you're doing things, you're creating much more traffic congestion. Um, and there's no, there's nothing environmentally to, to get excited about either. So, uh, you know, we, we, know, where is the, where is the payback for communities? And then, and the third thing is that communities often are throwing money at these stores. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll build you your water, uh, to your store. We'll get you the sewer lines. We'll, we'll, uh, you know, uh, improve the roadways and we'll pay for it with uh, tax dollars. And it's like corporate welfare for, for billionaires. And so, when you add it all up, um, we're better off. You know, if Walmart today stopped building superstores, and I'm happy to say they've slowed down dramatically, because they're getting killed by internet shopping. That you know, if we stop building these huge dinosaurs, uh, uh, concrete dinosaurs by the sides of our uh, side of our road, we would be better off economically, environmentally, and socially. Uh, I didn't mention all the crime that happens at these stores. Um, enormous amount of uh, of crime costs to to the public. We would be better off in so many ways if this company uh, changed its business model uh, from top to bottom and stopped, uh, you know, its expansion program.
2: Do Do you think those criticisms would be similar against all big box retailers, the Barnes and Nobles and the Best Buys and and others, or is there something specific about Walmart that has particularly gotten your ire?
3: Well, Walmart is the uh, sort of like the prototype of, of all this, you know, they, they're the leader, and they, all these other retailers uh, try to emulate Walmart, uh, sometimes with the same, uh, you know, wording, the same policies, um, the same everyday low-pricing uh, nonsense, buying from China, displacing jobs in America, shutting down factories that used to make Levi's and uh, other kinds of products and textiles, you know, losing entire industries. New England, where I live, has been devastated by the loss of, manufacturing jobs all the regional retailers are gone you know we're left with just a monopoly of the few very big national chains i don't have much good to say about any of them i don't you know i don't i don't shop at any of them i don't go to walmart target you know lowes home depot home, you know to me home depot is just an orange walmart and lowes is just a blue home depot they're all they're all a business model that's bankrupt uh they're not you know they're not creating a uh uh you know Positive growth for our country, um, bringing in all these cheap Chinese imports, has not been helpful. The flight of jobs has not been helpful to third world countries and to places like uh, mm-hmm. China and Vietnam. You know, it's done a number. You know, this whole trade thing and the Walmart thing has done a number on our economy. We haven't recovered from it, um, and uh, so I don't have a whole lot of good to say. You know, oh. uh, I've been I've been threatened with lawsuits by people like Costco and others. I'm being sued by home, uh, by uh, Whole Foods right now, so I no, I don't have a whole lot to say. It's not just Walmart, but they're they're sort of like the poster child of everything that's wrong with retailing today in this country.
1: Al, thank you so much for being with us today and discussing your thoughts around Walmart. Um, you know, it's always good to have these uh, you know types of conversations to open up opinions and ideas. It helps keeps us intelligent, I say, or well informed. Um, Al. Last question for you really quick, uh, you know uh, walmart's the the Walmarts the home depots the Whole foods those companies exist today, and you know, the fact is people are consuming um, you know their products, so if they can be agents of change and do good things for our communities i mean shouldn't shouldn't we just uh you know can we help them? can they be agents of change
3: well i mean uh, you know there's a there's a group called making change at Walmart which is committed to try to get uh the, the workers inside the store, they formed their own group called Our Walmart. Uh, I think all that agitation is great. And I, and I, you know, I personally have decided not to, not to uh, give my money to any of these stores and to shop locally. I feel better for it. I don't feel addicted to these companies like Walmart and Target. I don't need them. But if people want to engage them and try to make them uh, you know, more community-friendly and worker-friendly, I think that's terrific, and I support those act- actions on their part.
1: Al, thanks again for being with us.
3: I'd love to do it. Thanks. Appreciate you my, my being invited.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep our conversation open. I have, a, I have a feeling that you know this is not the first or last conversation I will have about Walmart. So thank you.
3: Thanks. Thanks for your work, too.
1: Take All care. right. Al Norman, he's a citizen activist. If you'd like to follow his work, head to sprawl-busters.com. Don't go away. When we come back, we go around the world and find out what life is like for LGBTQ people with our guests.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show.
6: I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for
0: are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier
1: version of the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, the week of Thanksgiving. So much to be grateful for. And one uh, of my, you know, big thanks is, of course, being alive, being here and being able to do a program like this. It's your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP and everyone in between. And with us on Tuesday is our good friend John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Always glad to be here with you, Michelle. <laughs> so, you know, I said right before the break, we're going to go around the world. I actually have a really cool story about our next guest. I had the pleasure of meeting Lisa and Jenny, um, you know, years and years and years ago. I don't even know if they remember me, but uh, I, I I thought their idea was so cool. And they set out on this idea to go around the world and and film you know LGBTQ people uh, and at that time when I met them it was just an idea they didn't actually do it yet and so I think several years I think I don't, I, if I count back how many years that that day was uh, you know it's got to be more than five years I think and uh, and here they are they just did a, an entire TED talk um, discussing their documentary out and around and so I'm very 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 proud and humbled to introduce you to our next guest Lisa DeZoles Lisa welcome to the program
5: Hey, thanks so much, Michelle. And I, we remember that. That interview I think it was about four and a half years ago so it's so great to be back and talking to you and have actually done what we we
1: set out to do (laughs) you know not very many people do what they say they're going to do so you guys are super duper cool you know uh, awesome people and lesbians and (laughs) just have to put that out there so let's talk about you know the the film the the project the documentary out and around Uh, you know what country did you visit first
5: Sure. So we traveled to fifteen countries in Asia, Africa, and South America. Um, our first stops were actually Australia and New Zealand. We had some family there, uh, and then we headed up to Southeast Asia to Taiwan, China, to East Africa, and to um, South America. So, wow. Um, yeah, it, it was. Uh, we we picked countries that you know were important to us. Um, you know, we had picked, for example. Taiwan, because that's where Jenny's uh, family's from. Uh, we had picked the Philippines, because that was where my mother was born. Uh, we picked Chile, because um, I had lived there for two years as a social worker. And we also picked countries that we wanted to go to developing countries, countries where the LGBT movement was, um, you know, was picking up momentum, and uh, countries where we saw people of color. So stories that weren't necessarily told in mainstream press, um, where we also had language abilities, so Jenny speaks Mandarin and I speak Spanish, so we just felt very lucky to um, have that access.
2: How did you find the differences to be between all these different countries? I mean, it, you know, you, yeah, the, you went to kind of countries that had these similarities in, in being developing countries, growing LGBT uh, awareness, but um, there must have been really significant differences between them. I mean, you're three different continents.
5: There were, and that, that was part of the reason why we chose those countries. We wanted to uh, show kind of a variety of acceptance. Um, and, you know, there are different reasons in different regions as to why homophobia and, homophobia and transphobia exist. Uh, for example, in East Africa, it's really based on religious based homophobia, whereas in China, it's really based on family structure and on, um, you know, not disappointing parents and, and, and not. Bringing about shame to the family. Um, at the same time, there were so many similarities. Um, you know, when we just walked into other countries and met other queer people, you know, it, it almost felt like we were meeting long lost cousins. <laughs> because, wow. You know, you have this uh, shared experience of being um, the other, and when you come out, you know, it, it's the you know, it, it's a unique culture because you come out and, you know, you're not no one, you know. You're not born into a family where everyone's gay, obviously. Um, you have to kind of find your people.
2: So how, how, how so, did you find them? Because I'm kind of wondering, you know did some people not want to talk on camera? Or uh, was everyone kind of eager to get their story out?
5: Sure. So we, um, we actually were seeking what we called super gays. So people who were doing something, um, something extraordinary in, the, in their community. So we were seeking people who, for the most part, were out and mm-hmm. were outspoken. Um, and, you know, we actually found it really easy. We I think we probably had a 95% um, acceptance rate of, wow. like, emails that we sent and people responding to us. So I think people, especially in the developing world, are, are very eager to connect, to network, to share their story. Um, you know, just it was a, a testament of um, how open the LGBT community really is.
1: Lisa, I wanted to know, I mean, you know, obviously here in the United States and especially in a city like San Francisco where both you and Jenny live, um, great things were happening for LGBTQ people, such as marriage. Um, as you, you know, set out on, on these uh, these trips, well, you know, I don't think that you can generalize what LGBTQ life like or, you know, was like for people around the, the country, but um, – I, try, I guess. You know, I mean, I don't know if anything stood out for you, or what are some things that you know we can take from your trip that uh, maybe most American LGBTQ people might not know.
5: Well, you know, I mean, we're just we're living in a very exciting time, and uh, there's so much, you know, momentum. I mean, there's momentum like within the states. So, you know, uh, I mean, we saw sweeping momentum in the U.S. the past five years. So, as you know, one state earns equality it really affects how, you know, other campaigns in other states learn from their experiences and, you know, we just grow stronger. So it's like, oh, my God, Iowa has <laughs> marriage equality. How is that possible? Mm-hmm. We must have marriage equality in California. And once you start, you know, once, once it's okay in a state like Iowa, <laughs> like, you know, once that's proven, how can the rest of the country not change their minds and hearts? And I think that's also what we're seeing, uh, you know, around the world, so, um, you know, uh, the U.S. is not the example <laughs> of equality for countries around the world. I mean, we were in, you know, um, when we were in South America, um, you know, Argentina had had full equality way before the U.S. did. And when Argentina had, you know, gained their equality, uh, Uruguay and Brazil quickly followed. So it's really, I mean, it's, we really are very interconnected in terms of social movements. And, uh, I mean, I think we all feel that, you know, this is just a, a thrilling time for for civil rights.
2: What were your biggest surprises though you found?
5: Um, you know, I mean, I think, I don't know, biggest surprises, I, I think um, just in terms of Jenny and I just really, we just changed so much over the year. I mean, I think, um, you, mean? you know, we had had, it was just a beautiful time for us as a couple. I mean, I think that we had... There were so many ways that uh the trip and the interviews that we did really changed our own hearts and, and made us stronger and in the film you really see um just kind of what we went through as a couple and you know, we've been very privileged and blessed. Um but at the same time, you know, we had our own <laughs> we had our own struggles with our own family just to gain acceptance and it really the trip really um I don't know, I guess in a way helped us to kind of form a stronger community and uh feel more secure in ourselves.
6: Um, and That's I guess
5: so cool. you know the other, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other surprising thing I think is just that um, you know it's very eye-opening to meet, especially the activists in East Africa, and just see how you know how much risk they're taking <laughs> to stand up for what they believe in. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the most shocking to me, where I was just like, "Oh gosh, I just want to help you guys all apply for asylum." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, you know, they are just people there are just you know very holding their ground and very um strong in what they believe and you know it really made me question like deep down gut question like what would i do if i if i was born here if i lived here
1: Michelle um, Miao and uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club on the phone with us is our guest, Lisa Dezoles And uh, we're talking about her film project that she did with her partner, Jenny Chang, and uh, the film project or documentaries out and around. And these guys went around the world and, and filmed LGBTQI lives. Um, <laughs> Lisa, you guys actually have a really cool, unique story. You left your nine to five jobs. Uh, you had, you know, no real experience, experiences in making a documentary uh, as far as, like, you know, credentials of being an, an actual filmmaker. You you bought a book on how to make a documentary. Uh, <laughs> so, it, you know, was this like a some, some dream or, you know, maybe a premonition that you needed to execute? Uh, what made you guys want to drop everything and do this? Well, I
5: think, you know, it was that this idea of dropping and traveling. Dropping everything and traveling was just, it's, that's an easy dream when you're, like, young and in love and just wanting to have some freedom. Um, you know, doing the film project, what what, what kept us going really was, um, I think, the accountability. That once we said something and we, we started, you know, we started a blog and we started telling our friends and people started offering us help to complete the project, I mean, this was really a project uh, that couldn't have been done without the support of the LGBT community in San Francisco. Um, You know, people like yourself who were like, "Yeah, let's talk about this. Let's interview you." (laughs) Once you put it out there, it's kind of like, "Oh God, we gotta, we gotta." We, you know, we felt we felt really compelled to finish the project, and um, we had such great support on our blog and through the the initial videos that we made um, that you know, when we came home, we actually. completely lucked out. We had 120 hours of video footage that we had gathered and we met two tremendous um, real filmmakers (laughs) who took over the post-production, Ryan and Lauren, and they were incredible. They they took all 120 hours of our video footage and they narrowed it down into what's a really beautiful um, film that has now been on um, logo television and been through the, the film circuit and you know, uh, we're very hopeful about distribution internationally and, and here in the States. So, um, you know, I think when you have an idea which other people can support and feel feel aligned in their mission, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of unstoppable.
1: <laughs> I would say so. This is so incredible. I'm so excited and so happy for you guys. We have to take a quick break right here, Lisa, but when we come back, I want to you know, wind down on our uh, conversation about your incredible project. Stay with us. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. Don't go away.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show.
2: Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare care reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club.
0: Listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show.
1: Welcome back! Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us, and on the phone, our guest is Lisa Dizols, who uh, you know just I think has the the right attitude about life. Fell in love, and then her and her partner set sail on this incredible trip. Left their job and and made this beautiful documentary that is about change. Um, and uh, the documentary is out and around and it's available by the way on their website or at least the trailer is at out and around.com. Um, and, uh, it, it, documents the lives of LGBTQI people around the world. Uh, Lisa, <laughs> I, I, you know, I can, I, I could keep going about how incredible this project is. Um, how long did it actually take? I, I don't know if we uh, asked that question. How long were you away okay. from?
5: So we were traveling for a year and, uh, that was when we took, uh, all the footage, and uh, then you know, like I said, our, our four directors who did this amazing job. It took, it, it really took three years to complete the whole uh, post-production process, from you know raising money to editing down all the videos to adding in all the bells and whistles. Um, it was a full team, so those guys, I feel like they worked harder than we did, um, without actually being able to travel. But uh it just take, you know it takes takes time it takes a lot of effort and a lot of money to put together a documentary so um it you know it it took all the endurance that I think we've had, and uh we're still going.
2: I love that this all came out after you guys actually buying a book on quote how to make a documentary i mean yeah. it, it, it couldn't be better and then you you came through with it and and produced a really nice uh, film um so have you been bitten by the documentary bug? Is there another project coming next?
5: you know how Probably not, to be honest. (laughs) I think we learned uh, what we didn't know. and I mean, um, now we're just going to, you know, these co-directors that we have, they're up and coming. I think we'll support all of their projects in the future. But uh, I think we've kind of had our, our, um, our, you know, one and done in terms of filmmaking. But we'll always be activists and we'll always be looking for a next project.
2: Do you still stay in touch with any of the folks you met on this trip?
5: Yeah, we do. We, you know, we've sent um, our film uh, to the to our super gays <laughs> and uh, you know they've been they've been wanting to host uh, film screenings in their own countries. Oh, great! And uh, you know we've we've also had an open door policy <laughs> in terms of visitors because we we stayed with so many of the people that mm-hmm. we interviewed. So we've had uh, several visitors from Shanghai um, that we met come through and stay at our house. And recently, very touching one of the one of the the organizers of Shanghai Pride who's in the film, Uh, she came to the States with her partner to get married in Hawaii, and they actually decided to spend their honeymoon at our house. (laughs) So uh, we got to share that with them, you know, the Castro and San Francisco. And, you know, I think for both of us, it was very uh, re-energizing, you know, for, for them, you know, to come to San Francisco and... Just uh, you know, they they met with a lot of different um organizations, including San Francisco Pride and I think for them, you know, they really got a, a boost of energy in terms of what they want to bring back to Shanghai. And for us, um, you know, they actually were were with us when we had our premiere at the Castro Theater and uh, you know, they were just reminding us like, you you know, this this is only the beginning, you can't stop now. You need to get this film translated and get it um get it abroad because that's really where we want people to see it. So um, they, in fact, they even, translated, <laughs> they even translated our film into Mandarin, which, wow. um, as you can imagine, takes hours and hours. Mm-hmm. So it's been, I mean, just an incredible relationship that we've been able to have with um, many of the people that we, we interviewed.
1: Well, Lisa, we're winding down on time, and uh, we should let you go because after your trip, I mean, you, you are very, very important, and you do have a job <laughs> to do and, you know, as a, a clinical worker. Um, uh, a social worker and and uh you know I think the my last question is just kind of I don't know if people know or it, it was in the film, perhaps um but you and jenny you, you did tie the knot, did you uh well, let you watch the film, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we're still, no, we're still together we uh we survived the year of travel, and we did get married
5: um yeah, we got married twice actually, we got married before, and uh after prop eight and uh, wow. yeah, so uh. Yeah, and out and around, too, is um, we're actually expecting. So we're very uh, thrilled we're going to be having a baby.
1: Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So I do see, we, yeah. John, I think part two is that the baby uh, goes along. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, so. Lisa, uh, congratulations on this incredible project, and thank you so much for sharing with us and the entire world.
5: Yeah, thank you, Michelle, and uh, we look forward to keeping in touch. And, um, you, you know, people can pre-order our film. We're going to... Um, Hopefully release it in February or March. But, um, you know, thanks okay. so much. You know, the website is outandaround.com.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Lisa, thanks again. And for those of you, uh, you know, would like to order the, uh, pre-order the film, actually, you can head to outandaround.com, and uh, it's $9.99. Ten percent of proceeds go to the nonprofit partner It Gets Better. Gosh, I don't know if it can get any better than that. I mean, <laughs> this has just been such a, a positive film, so we're super excited about it. Um, I think I am going to pre-order my copy. I should have a copy for my future kids. Right? I mean, you too, John. Sure. And your turkey that you that you have waiting for you on Thursday.
2: Yes, I did not, however, get a pedicure, so you uh, still won
1: up to me on that. <laughs> um, geez, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to have that conversation about Walmart uh, so openly. And, and it, it, you know, again, like it's not that we endorse or I endorse all of the opinions and views of our guests. And so Al, you know, obviously uh, doing the work that he does, um, that that is all based off of, you know, his facts. Um, my experience is, you know, it, it, it. of course, being critical of Walmart is it's not a bad thing. And I've been critical of Walmart for a really long time. Um, but, you know, my last question in terms of if there are you know, agents of change, if we if we have to have these companies in our lives, you know, how can we help them make it a little tiny bit better?
2: Yeah, I mean, when we mentioned the CEO uh, who uh, of Walmart who had uh, pushed for, you know, the discrimination uh, in, I believe in Arkansas, in an Arkansas law, that was actually the previous CEO. And I believe our, uh, our, uh, uh, Walmart under Mr. McMillan or Mr. McBillions, whatever, <laughs> um, has opposed, uh, anti LGBT yeah, laws. Right. So there's some change though. You know, L Norman obviously has, has a much larger, uh, criticism of the big box impact mm-hmm. on the economy and such. And that's something that, you know, some folks will agree with and others won't. Um, But uh, he he very much feels strongly about it.
1: I would say that, you know, the big discussion that we should be having in this country is, is yes, you know, uh, advancing the lives of 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 Americans and addressing the um, the intersectional issues that we face. And I say, you know, that word over and over and over because. Uh, and I I, I I had actually discussed this with uh, Fong the other day. It's like sometimes people look at me and it's like Michelle Miao who does the lesb- or LGBT talk show. So she's a lesbian. As if like, you know, that's just all that i am that's just who i am um and then you know there's some places that i go that people just see that asian american girl or that actually i don't even think they get to the american part (laughs) (laughs) i think they're just like that asian girl um and and i and i think that if we have more conversations and dialogue about you know bringing all the intersections of our lives together we really could make some change happen i agree um I, the 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 thing I hate the most is when you have discussions with other people who might not you know walk your shoes, and they have a very um, what's the word? Like they're very uh yeah, I don't know. They're they think that uh, you know because you don't know about Christian life or because you don't know about what it's like to be really filthy rich that you couldn't possibly understand where they're coming from.
2: Well, and that certainly goes the other way as well. Mm -hmm. I I, I think a lot of times people will be, you know, people within the LGBTQ community will be quick to say, well, that person's not going to, you know, some white Baptist from Arkansas isn't, you know, no way. And then you do get into discussions about them. Either you find you can change minds or you find out that, yeah, this person is a youth pastor who's been working for LGBTQ inclusion. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot... There's a lot that comes from being able to say this is you know an LGBT you know program or something, and, right. and having that sort of uh, categorization. And then there's the rest, the fun that comes from when all those barriers just kind of get exploded mm-hmm. because you find out that people are more interesting when they're individuals.
1: I will say this if Doug McMillan is tuning in right now, and And I'm sure he is, and he would like, yeah, right. (laughs) He has asked me to go back to Bentonville. I know that some of his folks are working on that. I don't know if he'll actually have me back, but if I do end up back there, you know, it is my intent to have that bigger discussion. And the three things that I said that they can do. To improve the lives of LGBTQ people who are not only their employers, but their consumers. And one that would start with him absolutely supporting an equal rights um, act, something to that sort, because, you know, Walmart is, in fact, uh, very, very international <laughs> as well as national here um, and implement, you know, policies that the, the company can endorse, which would make it illegal, at least within their company uh, policies to fire, um, you know, people because of sexual orientation or gender identity and we're winding down on time my third thing I said that was to actually have education to actually have training um, about the diversity of people that's inclusive of sexual orientation and gender identity and I swear to you I bet you if they're looking to retain some of that market share from Amazon shoppers and or you know target shoppers uh, th- starting with this you know at least start with this it will impact their bottom line um, all right. Well thank you so much for joining us here on this incredible Tuesday. Thank you to John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. As you know, you can head to commonwealthclub.org and listen to all of our podcasts and check out some other cool stuff that they do. If you do wanna check out the podcast, you can just search meow. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, four o'clock Pacific Standard
3: Time.